Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the awesome Catherine Pope. We're talking about Catherine's book, How to Publish Your PhD. And we discuss then this this process after you have submitted and completed putting your material out into the world and the sorts of decisions you might want to make in terms of how to publish and then the ways in which thinking like a publisher may be different from thinking like a PhD researcher. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Catherine. Hello, Emma. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, Because you have been on the podcast before. I have. Um, It's great to be back. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Before we were talking about uh, one of your wonderful books, this this time we're talking about another one of your wonderful books. Um, And because you've already been here before, you've already talked about your story of, of through the PhD very interesting and and you talk about that a lot in the book how to get phd um and this time we're here to talk about your book how to publish your phd so i wonder if you could talk to us then about this this topic and you coming into publishing um your phd material yeah certainly yeah so i thought that once i'd finished my PhD, nothing else could be that difficult. And right. <laughs> turning it into a monograph would be some kind of straightforward magic trick. Because um, people talk about turning it into a monograph. So there are a couple of easy steps that you yes. follow and suddenly it's reappeared in a different format. And of course, the reality was completely different. I was horrified. I don't think that's an overstatement to be confronted with the reality and (laughs) there were just so many processes and obstacles so I felt very strongly I needed to share this with Mm -hmm. other people because often turning your thesis into a monograph is seen very much as a formality um yeah so we we get um shunted along that path without really spending the time thinking through whether it's something that we want to do so I wrote this book to share my insights and insights from other researchers who I'd spoken to so so that people can make an informed decision about whether they publish their PhD and also how they go about it. Brilliant. And I, I think we were, we were talking just before we came on about, because I know I've done it too, that, that um, and you talk about in the book about how PhD examiners often say that thing in terms of like, you know, and you you, mm-hmm. you really should publish this work. Um, mm-hmm. As you say, like it's an easy thing to do. <laughs> um, because for those examiners, it may well have been an easier thing to do. Things have changed and there's, there's a very particular environment um, around, at the, uh, you know, that people will be finding themselves in, both in terms of uh, getting a job after the PhD and in terms of the publishing environment. Um and you are able in this in 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 talking about how to publish the the book how to publish a PhD. You can talk about it both from 
being um, someone who has been published, someone who uh, you you have a, a, your own um, publishing house, um, and also uh, looking at the work of uh, working with other people as that as they get published. So you you were going to talk. We we thought about how we might approach this best, <laughs> and you suggested that we start with, or do you do you really want to do you really want to publish this? Is is this really what you want to do? And um, so tell us a bit about that in terms of why, why might you not want to um, mm. publish a PhD? Yeah, sure. I, I think starting with why is always the best place, asking yourself why you want to do a PhD or why you want to write a book so that it isn't just a formality because other people are very good at giving us advice. Yes. So you know, once you pass your viva, everyone is saying, oh, yes, that's very nice, but when are you going to turn it into a book? Mm. It's similar to if you get married and when are you going to have a baby? Mm. People are very nosy. Um, <laughs> and they can then just ask you every time you see them, well, how's that book coming along? And it, it's it's really annoying. And they're not going to be the ones who are sat out with you late at night trying to squeeze out another 500 words or doing endless edits. So it's yes. very easy to make suggestions, but a lot harder to actually write that book. Um, and I've done quite a lot of coaching on writing books in the past I don't I don't do that any longer but the first question I always ask someone if they say that they want to write a book is what are you going to stop doing Mm. because most people haven't got oodles of spare time where they're thinking oh I don't know what to do with myself this evening or this coming weekend how on earth am I going to use all this annual leave (laughs) so um, (laughs) you've, you've got to think is there something that you're you're going to stop because writing a book takes a lot of time you're mm. going to be either sacrificing a lot of your evenings or making some early starts or using up a big block of your weekend and if you've got some semblance of a life or caring responsibilities that's going to have a a big impact and if you don't prioritise writing the book, you're never going to make any progress. And mm. it's it's just going to drag out interminably, like sometimes PhDs do. You yes. don't want to be still working on it in 10 years' time. Yes. And I think that is it's, that is really important to say at the outset. Like like you said, it, it is quite unlikely to be just tweaking tweaking things <laughs> to um to publish it, especially if you want you're going to publish it as a as a book. Mm-hmm. Um so tell us a little bit then about that process of, of what it might mean then to change the to to work from the thesis into a published book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so first of all, as you've um, alluded to, Emma, don't believe anyone who says, oh, it's just a few tweaks. This is almost <laughs> there. That is an enormous lie. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be a lot of work. And I, I talk about this in the book because yes. I'd fattered myself. There wouldn't be too much effort to turn my thesis into a monograph because I'd had very few corrections, just typos, and my examiners had praised its coherence and the quality of the writing. So I was feeling quite puffed up afterwards. And, of course, when I opened my thesis to start editing it, I was absolutely appalled because there there were lots of typos, there were mistakes, there were things that just 
plane didn't make sense. Uh, mm. Some mm. paragraphs I just couldn't work out what on earth I was talking about there. Um, and my thinking had changed mm. um, in places. It it was a bit dated because I was writing about um, race and gender and sexuality. Um, so what I thought was going to take me a couple of months of gentle editing was actually, um, I think the the main the main transformation was solid six months work. Wow! wow. Yeah, and yes. then uh, even after I'd done all that, you've you've got to submit that manuscript, and it goes through. Um, readers and editors who all come back and that and that takes time so it was actually I think three years before the book was published and all that time it's going back and forth and you're having to occupy some of your your headspace with it and keep up with your research. Yes and you really helped I mean what's brilliant about this book is it's very practical and it, it, it you have things like the timeline in terms of what will need what will need to happen in terms of the processes for getting published um, mm-hmm. and I'm really aware that people may be looking to get the book their book published in order to be going to, for a particular job mm-hmm. um and so can you talk a little bit about that in terms of if that is where your thinking is at um because mm-hmm. you give some options in the in the book about where what you might do with your with your material that you have mm-hmm. coming out of your PhD process. Yeah, sure. So part of that starting with why is really pinpointing why you want to publish your PhD, what it's going to do for you, yeah. what's your goal. And as you say, if you want to get an academic job, you've got to really pay attention um to to your your pathway because if if a academic institution says you need to have published your monograph before you can apply for a job here it might take you three years in some Mm. cases it takes seven years to actually get that book published after you've submitted it so are you really going to wait that long to get a a full-time job um other employers will say you just need to have a book under contract uh, which is obviously easier, but even so, you still have to put together a really good proposal and have it accepted, and that could still take, um, you know, maybe maybe a year or something. So it's whatever you're doing, it's important not discount reality or indulge in any magical thinking, which is something that I've been very good at in the past. Oh yes, me too. Me too. Um. And you just mentioned there in terms of book under contract, because actually getting into to thinking about publishing takes you into a whole another landscape with a whole another set of, of you know, mm-hmm. of uh, it's a whole new language and a whole new set of processes. Um, and you need to kind of think like a publisher mm-hmm. um, and which you and you talk about this really I keep going on about this book but it is it is brilliant so do have a look at it and we'll have all the details in the show notes um but you're you're very helpful in the book in terms of in, uh, introducing that and encouraging people to think like a publisher but I wonder if you could give us a little sort of pricey um now in terms of how do publishers approach books and what are they 
thinking about because it's quite different from mm-hmm. academics. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So um, a, a publisher is making a, a business decision when mm. they review your book proposal. Yeah. In universities and particularly on PhD programs, you're trying to um, produce an idea that's that's completely unique that no one has ever um, discussed at, at length before. So that uniqueness is is privileged, and you've only got to convince two or maybe three people that this presents a important contribution to knowledge. But publishers aren't interested in something that's incredibly niche and appeals to a handful of people because they need to sell a certain number of copies. Mm. And experienced mm. publishers are going to be looking at your proposal and they will see very quickly, yes, this is something that might sell 500 copies to libraries or they will look at it and think this is going to sell two copies. Mm. Um, and, and regardless of the the type of publisher, whether they're a a commercial publisher like Paul Grave or they're an academic press like CUP or they're a, a not-for-profit like Open Book Publishers, they all need to sell books. Even if they're not trying to make money from your book, they are allocating resources that could have been used on another title and they still need money coming in to keep the presses rolling. Um, so you've got to, as, as you say, Emma, think like the publisher. It's not about your idea being exciting and interesting, because I'm sure it is, but those aren't the important criteria for the publisher. They need to know that it's of um, sufficient interest to sell copies. So for some publishers, that threshold will be 200 copies if it's a book that's very expensive, one of those ones that's sort of £150. Pounds. For others, it might be 500 copies or or 2,000 copies. Um, but books always sell far fewer copies than we think. I think it's, it's something like only 5% of books sell more than 100 copies. And that's all all books trade. And, Isn't it really? Yeah. Blimey. Blimey. Yeah. And this is the key thing, isn't it, in terms of, when you're putting together and you do in walk people through this, you know, the book proposal thing, but that the book proposal is basically a business proposal, right? It's a mark it's for the marketing department. <laughs> exactly. In terms of can we sell this book? And I think that that is a real shock. I know I, I found that very shocking to to kind of get my head around that. It's a very different way of approaching things. And the kind of the surveying the market mm-hmm. is the big thing that you have to do rather than talking through your argumentation. Um, yeah, just, yeah, because as you said earlier, Emma, publishers think about research very differently f- from um, other academics. So they're not looking for something that's really, really niche. They want something that sells. Uh, this was the problem with my PhD, actually, the first publisher I approached responded with a no I think five minutes after I'd sent the email and I, I wished he'd just waited at least an hour or something to make it look as though he thought about it um but he he just came back almost immediately saying no this is this is far too niche no one's going to be interested in that and just because we find it really fascinating we can't imagine that other people won't and people will be broadly interested but it, it's whether they will actually pay for a, a copy because 
publishers need buyers, not just readers. As as academics, we want readers for our books, and we're not usually expecting to make any money. But, but publishers do need to to get people to buy a copy. They don't want everyone just going to the British Library and reading it for free. That's no good for a publisher when they've and, covered all the costs. And I think that's really important to hold on to as well in terms of not taking it personally that rejection mm-hmm. because it won't it it probably won't be about the ideas and the argumentation no. um, because there are lots of brilliant brilliant ideas out there and also you know the editors that potentially you're approaching they will they can really love what you're doing mm. but they just know that it's not going to sell in that way so that's that's where the rejection comes from to, to not mm-hmm. take that personally because mm. i think it can be really disheartening um to especially when you come out and you're like this is my phd and i've passed and yeah <laughs> um to then come up against that kind of that that process but to be smart about it and i think that to to um you give really good tips in terms of how to how to craft and create a proposal um that you know that that touches on all the things that are will be of interest to the publisher mm-hmm. um but i think what i'd love to touch on too is so if if, if so the, there's this monograph with the with um with a, an established press as one option for publishing your phd but you do touch on some other options for publishing too and i just wonder whether you could tell us a little bit about that in terms of the other options that people might have for mm-hmm. publishing their work yeah, so really this comes down to your motivation for publishing. If if you are pursuing an academic career, then there are other things that you could do, such as publishing chapters of your thesis as, as journal articles. It's not necessarily less work, um, but it it might be it might be easier to do in terms of placing those articles or um, I do talk about contributing to a, an edited collection. Um, I, I think I strongly advise yes. against editing a collection because <laughs> that's just a, a world of pain. Yes. Um, yeah, um, but it, it depends on on your motivation and also what universities are looking for in your field. So certainly in, in my field of Victorian literature, nothing other than a monograph would suffice but in other fields, it might be more about journal articles if you're in the social sciences or a, a contribution to an edited collection might be sufficient. So so find out what would be appropriate. If you're not pursuing an academic career, either you're, you're never going to do that or you're having a bit of a break, then you could look at other approaches. Um, for instance, self-publishing, mm. I talk about in my book of course you don't get the the same credibility as you do with getting it published but if you just want to get your research out there to the Mm. widest possible audience Mm. um that's probably the best way because you can set the price yes yes it's not going to be 120 pounds for a paperback and um half a million pounds for a hardback as it often is um and you can make sure it's available internationally as well. Yes. Because I've, I've spoken to some researchers who have carried out um, ethnographies in, in certain countries and they want those participants to be able to read the research. And then the publisher either doesn't make it available in that territory or it's just ridiculously expensive um, as a 
in relation to the cost of living there. So do think about whether going down a traditional route is placing any any barriers between your work and, and the intended readers. And you could also go down completely different routes, turning your your research into a, a blog or a, a podcast, um, videos, all sorts of things. It, it's, it's your research so that you can do exactly what you like with it. And once you've signed a contract with a publisher, they've they've got the rights to it. You then can't decide to um, transform it into all sorts of different artifacts. You have to get permission from them. So if it's important to you to have control over what you do with it and who can read it, then self-publishing or at least autonomy might be a, a better route. Yeah, so it's thinking about disseminating your research, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I guess really, and 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 what would serve serve you best um mm-hmm. and money might be part of that for you <laughs> um mm-hmm. yep. and um and what might reach the people that you that you want to reach you may have a particular mm-hmm. audience in mind as well mightn't you you might have a particular mm-hmm. a particular like you say geographical area that you want to speak to or a particular um community that you want to speak to and you know that this is where they hang out rather than you know Mm -hmm. the British Library and so Mm -hmm. you're thinking about where you want to want to put that work um considerations um, in terms of those kind of big considerations in terms of why and how what's brilliant in the in in your book as well is it is very practical in terms of thinking about that timelines editing you know, the, the kind of setting out weekly strategies and things in terms of because mm-hmm. as, if people are publishing their PhDs, they're likely to be doing other things at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you're, this this project is like, likely to happen without the luxury of being able to do it full time. So mm-hmm. I think that's what you, you give um, some great prompts there. Um, and I always ask people... Um, on the podcast in terms of for top tips. And I just wonder if you had any top tips for people who are working on or thinking about getting their PhD published. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yes. So first of all, start with why really mm. interrogate yourself as to why this is the right thing for you to do and why you should be doing it now and really drill down so um, you you might have heard of the five whys exercise where you ask yourself why do I want to do this and then you give your answer and you say well why is that the answer and each time you're getting more specific and sometimes Mm -hmm. we we realize that our reason is is really quite shallow and (laughs) undefined Um, so be be clear on yourself be clear to yourself why you're you're doing this and what it's going to do for you Um, think about what you're going to give up in order to make space mm. for this book mm. project because it's not just time it, it's a lot of energy I, yes. I say in in the book that you need starting energy and finishing energy yes so there's a lot of starting energy to get going doing all the planning um ho- holding these big ideas in your head um but that's quite exciting you get a lot of adrenaline with starting energy because projects are always exciting at the start, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, oh, then yes. You, yeah, then you get to the boring bits. And you think, well, no, this other project, that that's that's much better. That'll be easier. I can't foresee any problems with that at all. Um, 
And You're inside my head right now, Catherine. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so... So there's that mad flurry of activity at the beginning, and then um, there's there's the, the sort of plodding along, um, which is a bit easier to fit around your other activities, but also it's it's quite dull, or it, it can be, and you've got to keep yourself motivated. And then at the end, just when you're exhausted and regretting ever having started this, you've you've got to pull everything together. Mm. You've got endless edits. You've got people coming back with queries and say why did you say say it like this um what's the page reference for this thing that you read 10 years ago um so you're gonna have to deal with these these different phases um and if you don't keep on top of it and maintain your momentum then it just drags out forever and it becomes harder and harder um so i, I said this in in my my previous podcast interview with you emma that there was this big slump in the middle of my phd when i pretended that i just wasn't doing one because i had a full-time job as well and i very successfully ignored it for um almost six months um and astonishingly it, it wasn't busy writing itself in the meantime and <laughs> I, i'd just forgotten everything that i'd been working on before that slump so it, it's there's a big risk of that happening with the the book as well and mm. publishers tend to be a lot less patient these days and they will give mm. you quite tight deadlines yes, Some yes. 12 months is is common and six months i'm hearing quite good grief quite, yeah yeah good grief so you've got to maintain a, a lively clip to, yeah, yeah, <laughs> to, yeah to do that if you've got a full-time job or other responsibilities Yes, which makes it even more important that you kind of you you have a sense of the scope of your project and what you're what you're looking to do and what's possible to do with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, another tip is to to be realistic. Don't keep adding things to your your scope and think, oh, this is a, a really interesting idea over here and bolting it on. You, you need. Um, I I talked I think on the previous episode about the minimum viable yes, thesis yes, yes. yeah so you need a minimum viable book there are all sorts of things that you could do to make this amazing but you just need something that answers the the question that you you set out in the introduction so keep it as something that you can actually finish in the time allotted mm. and as you were talking there about kind of um you know coming back people asking you questions in terms of getting involved you know having um proofreaders and indexers and all those mm -hmm. all those other um processes that you need for for publication mm -hmm. um which might cost you money mm -hmm. um and um certainly will will take time I, I i think it's what's great is to have that you lay that out because i think again it's people are not always aware that these processes take place and um, yeah yeah, or that your publisher will just deal with all of them. And yes. it's vanishingly rare for a publisher to do all the editing, proofreading and in indexing yes. for you. Yes. Yeah. So, as yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Emma. Yes, yeah, so there could be significant financial implications to publishing your PhD, even if you go with a, a well-known publisher. Yes. Yes, mm -hmm. and it's just it's just good to know that in advance, isn't it? And to have that as part of your thinking, because mm -hmm. it might be absolutely the right thing for you to do, mm -hmm. but at least there's no nasty surprises. Mm -hmm. um, oh, 
Catherine, thank you so much. And I, I really want to recommend if people didn't hear the first interview to go back and listen to that because there is so much more wisdom in there. <laughs> what I love about the, the the books that you write is it comes out of your experience. And this is kind of hard-won knowledge that um, you are sharing with us. Um, so thank you for that. Oh, um, my pleasure, Emma. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. Thank you very much, Emma, and good luck to everyone with your publishing adventures. Thank you.